0: Hiya, welcome to episode 86 of Fear of a Black Planet I hope the sound is okay um, There's a new phone, so I've absolutely no idea if the sound's going to turn out okay And I don't have my headphones with a little mic on it And I'm walking around, and I'm actually caught right in the middle of a rain slash hail slash thunderstorm <laughs> In Liverpool Street in London so, uh, and I, But I'm a bit late in getting this podcast done today, so hopefully I'll get it up By the end of Monday Keep on schedule Uh, Last week I did actually get it done Just so anyone thinks I'm slipping I did actually get it done before the end of Monday But I didn't get it onto YouTube Because I was on the move And um, Yeah, it's just It's difficult to get Everything done and dusted When you're on the move Um, Mondays have become Really fucking busy for me right now Uh, because I'm doing a class in the morning and a class in the evening and one's in London and one's in Oxford so um, yeah I don't know if I want to talk about it exactly now because you know me I don't like to give everything away Um, but there are reasons for that I'm not just being a dick I think it's important to protect creativity and protect the, the sources of nourishment that you have as an artist and it can be very damaging if you give that away too quickly and it's not even about who you're giving it away to it's not a judgement it's more just for yourself if you're not protective of that then you can lose the source of the energy of it and um, so I'm like that with everything and I know that this is some people off but um, it's not me being a dick Although sometimes it is me being a dick Because other people are being dicks So I'm quite happy to be a dick back But um, most of the time it's just Hard won experience That it's important to protect your your own the, the sources of your own nourishment The things that feed your creativity Because th- the minute you start communicating, them—it's a weird thing. I don't know what it is. It's just this funny feeling that comes over you. You know when you've said too much. You know when you've you've given away too much of yourself, and you've you've cast too many of your perils. You know, and uh, there's a feeling of emptiness that comes with that. And I, th- I actually think that there's a little bit. Now this could just be my paranoid ramblings, but I don't think it is because I didn't just dream it up. Um, there's something that comes out. There's something going around in the culture of my generation and younger. I suppose you could call that the millennial. I suppose I'm the first of the millennial generation. I was born in 1981, so I suppose I suppose I'm millennial. Um, there's something in the millennial generation that's a kind of cynicism and, and um weaponized indifference i call it where they'll make you'll make you sort of ejaculate everything about your personality to them and then they'll respond with indifference so it's a kind of passive aggressive way Nullifying whatever power you have and putting you in your place. Now, that could just be me being paranoid and and, uh, and uh, a feeling and and me projecting some sort of childhood thing of not getting enough feedback and recognition and validation. And there's probably an element of that. But I but I, I don't I don't I sus- sneakily suspect that what I'm talking about is not entirely unfamiliar to whoever is listening to this. I think you know what I mean. Um. And I hate that. I hate that among all other things. Because actually it's an attempt to kill your soul. And you have to protect your soul from the soul eaters, from the soul killers. um, Because they sort of pride themselves on stamping on other people's souls. It's kind of a, a sense of achievement that they have. So... Anyway, I'm keeping busy, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, refueling through these courses that I'm doing and I'm enjoying it, but it's quite challenging. Um, I've been, I have been, I, funnily enough, I have not, I'm not performing as much at the moment, but I am playing a lot of guitar and I am enjoying playing a lot of guitar. Um, and in terms of that, I'm kind of really just doubling down on things, uh, I've got to the stage, I think it's the age I'm at, but I've got to the stage in life where actually I'm just interested, you know, you know the things that work for you, you know the things that bring your soul alive. And while you it's good to always keep learning and always keep developing and always keep stretching, absolutely. Um there's nothing wrong with doubling down on what works. So oh, Jesus, I hope that noise is not creating too much of a feedback. Um let me just find another quiet place here. But uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm doubling down on what what works, and I'm sticking to my roots. Um, so I guess the most re- one of the most recurring themes in this podcast is this notion of individuality. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> exactly. It's quite common these days to find the challenge being, oh, what's all this obsession with individuality? You know, surely what we need now is like a collective thing. Surely what we need now is uh, um, more people in relationship to each other. Surely the last thing we need is a focus on individuality. Well, I just find this really frustrating, because this is always a kind of smug way of dismissing the point. Because... Well, one of the reasons people want to get rid of the, well, not get rid of, but want to dismiss and um, counteract any argument from individuality is because with the individual comes a set of principles, a set of um, things that they want to dismiss, one of them being free speech. Um, you know, and also just the, the, the idea that you might want to be the source of your own value judgments. The, that the human conscience is more primary than some so, I mean, collective uh, assertion or some collective guiding principle that the individual... Like, the, the source of legitimacy, and put it in political philosophy terms, the source of legitimacy comes from the individual. And that's where I come from. It's not that you're... It's not actually that one wants to dismiss or uh, to, to count out any concept of the, the collective or uh, political integrity or community, absolutely not. But that the source of legitimacy for that community comes from the individual. They're, they're, they're interlinked. And I realise that this comes from Hegel, by the way. This comes from... Hegel was struck by <clears throat> the French Revolution and Romanticism and that once the divine right of kings was eliminated effectively by the French Revolution, that it was no longer taken for granted, which it was throughout Europe, except in one country, Scotland. Um, but that's a whole other debate. But Scotland has always had a different notion of political legitimacy than the rest of Europe. That That is one of the defining features of Scottish Enlightenment and Scottish humanism from the Renaissance onwards. Look it up if you don't believe me. Um, in fact, it goes back further than Magna Carta. It goes back to the Celtic kings and the way that they <coughs> selected rulers and the office of kingship was different in the Celtic communities than it was in all other European communities, say more aristocratic communities. Anyway, uh, so I'm thinking about the nature of why the individual matters, uh, and it, it, it comes. And, and what Hegel would say, what Hegel did basically was try and uh, show that. The, there was a between these two opposites of competing forces of the individual sense of freedom and liberty, and then the, the, the need for community and the need for common decision making to be had. That the, 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 the two were basically interlinked, they, they, they're inseparable from each other. That the, there is no true individual outside the community, and the only source of legitimacy is based on an understanding that the the, the the lowest form of division within the community is the individual. So it's through the individual that the community finds fulfillment, and it's through the community that the individual really becomes themselves. I think you find this in Aristotle. I think my interpretation of it is this is already existed in Aristotle. but And so it's, it's really a fundamental principle of that synthesis between the individual and the community is the basis of liberalism. And it's why... Uh, Cotic. terrorist bastards don't understand it but it's also the reason why um, collectivists and Marxists and materialists don't understand it because they don't because the they, they, they can only think in terms of opposites they can't think in terms of this synthesis and as much as you want to criticize Hegel and I do there's lots of things wrong with it because well his notion of the individual might be... Impoverished in a sense, but there is actually something quite valuable about this notion of an interdependence between the collective and the individual, so that that's kind of uh, where I'm going with it at the moment, but um, let me just see if I can pull up my notes here I've, I've had a few different um, like, sort of running thoughts on this, again they're not conclusions, they're not um, just pull up my notes here. Uh, da, da 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 da. This is funny. I can actually access my. Um, I can actually access my files from my computer on this new thing, which is ridiculous, really. Maybe I can. Oh, hang on. Let me just g- give me one more, give me one more uh, chance here to figure it out. Because it's possible that I've got some notes on this anyway, I mean, I guess, whether I get my notes or not, the, the real drive behind what I'm trying to say is that the individual... It, it's its tied to um, Mill's point, John Stuart Mill's point about the individual, where he's effectively arguing for a, a democratic form of liberalism um, and a democratic form of legitimacy, but he also recognises the danger of mob rule, and so the... the why the individual is important in the liberal tradition is because it is a non-political counter to a very real political problem. As long as you have a culture which uh, affirms the potential of the individual and affirms the, the importance of the individual, the primacy of the individual, then it's, it's really your only way to, to, to avoid um, collectivism or communitarianism becoming something like the Soviet problem, where the individual starts to be eradicated. I mean, always there's also the point where the the only understanding we can have of human rights, civil rights, which is what people seem to be claiming on the left to be for, but they don't behave like they're for it. And um, the only way that you can really justify these concepts is through the individual. We can. I can only understand. Why a right matters? Why it's important that uh, individuals are given certain privileges as individuals? Um, it, It doesn't make sense to have collective rights. It only makes sense to have individual rights because it is as individuals that we understand other individuals (laughs) Um, so there's even deeper moral point there that I can only understand morality and basic human empathy as an individual so it doesn't make, uh, Hegel said that as well mutual recognition, it's only uh, only when I look into say I'm a free man in the 19th century and I look into a slave's eyes in the 19th century and what I see is a human being, it's in that moment of recognition that I understand Uh, what it means to be a, a human in society. And it's only then that I can find some source of value, of common value. This is the paradox. The idea of collective, the idea of common brotherhood of man only works between individuals. So it's only as a single individual that I can understand my collective ties to my common brotherhood of man. The, brother, it, it, the, the problem with the collectivism, the problem with a lot of the left's point of view is it's top-down value systems, whereas the great advantage of liberalism is it's an emergent value system. It emerges from mutual recognition of the other as an other, as another individual, as myself. But that recognition of the other cannot happen if I don't recognize myself. And that's a much more complex thing, by the way, that you can't love yourself, you can't love another until you love yourself, man. No, that's New Age bullshit, meaningless crap, it's more deeper and more subtle than that. It's in that Hegelian moment of mutual recognition. So it's in the looking into the slave's eyes that I recognize that slavery is bad, right? Um, But I only know that because I know how much I value freedom as a primal necessity for the the fulfillment of my being, for the fulfillment of, of, of human life. And it's, own, and, and it's in the recognition of another person having that as an individual that common values and society and the, the very idea of a brotherhood of man makes any kind of sense whatsoever. And so on the political level, there's, there, there are no rights without a recognition of the individual because it, the idea of rights is, is the universalization of individual freedoms. So it's only as a it's only as an individual that I know what are the basic freedoms that I need and want to fulfill myself to live a happy life in and uh, live to my potential and it, the the notion of a right is how can I universalize those things what are what are the basic sets of uh, prerequisite conditions of Self-fulfillment and individual potential that are that I need for society to exist. Can we create a society in which every every citizen gets not not as not as equal in the sense of Marxist equality, di- everything's dished out in, 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 a, in an equal fraction, but that there's a set of basic liberal. Uh, not entitlements, but privileges that we all have and that are maintained through the collective in order for the, each individual uh, to, to achieve their own agency, to, to, to take control of their lives and, to, and to, to put it in sort of Maslow's terms, live meaningfully, live in a fulfilled way, live in a fulfilled way. And the, but, the, but the key point is the million point for me because it's down, It's related to freedom of expression and it's related to art and it's why art matters and it's why free speech matters and it's why, for me, um, things like, you know, being able to, you know, um, express your sexuality and... Uh, getting rid of a lot of that sort of Victorian conservatism and Puritanism which seems to be coming back into fashion on the right and I'm down in the trenches with anyone that wants to fight it, believe me but it's for this reason, it's because those are the, that those kinds of freedoms they're not based on rights they're, they're something, because they're, they're not about universalizing social um, privileges they're far more to do with the, what it means to be human and therefore, what it what it means to have a, a proper, evolving, flexible but resilient culture, and it's the 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 missing link in most social theory is this notion of the individual, which is why I feel Mill didn't sort of codify it as part of any social political philosophy as such, it was just this individual chapter in his book where he discusses the importance of freedom of conscience and free speech and, and the, the allowing eccentricity and free spirits and, and um, deviant behaviour and deviant thoughts to be, a, to be part of a liberal society. So that none of those sort of foundational human rights make any sense. None of this collective action for the sake of the individual rights makes any sense unless on a human-to-human level, in a non-institutionalised way, the foundations of our culture are based on the notion of the free spirit now we've got something new in the counterculture which is a kind of conformist free spirit idea which is absolutely the opposite of what Mill's talking about because it's only, because that's what's led us into this idea where free speech by people who claim to be the counterculture who claim to be the left, the Corbynistas the, the media types who think that they're the artists and they're the free spirit, the guardians of the culture as it were, they're the ones behaving in the most conformist, boring predictable ways. So be what what it actually means to value free spirit is is that I think it comes down to a more Kantian thing where you where you have to and I think I was talking about this last week and I've talked about it many times. You have you can't make someone else moral. What makes a person moral is their own free choice to choose morally. If you are forcing someone to be moral, you are taking away their moral agency. You're no longer allowing them to be a moral agent. Now, you might have to do that in certain cases, right? But as long as you admit that what's not going on is morality it's uh, an emergency case but we should always aim to persuade people to the right point of view, we should always aim to make it a process of becoming of evolution of the conscience rather than a top down enforcement of a certain set of guided principles, this is exactly what the difference between Christ's teaching and the Ten Commandments was it's so fucking obvious. It's the foundation... This is why I... This is one of the answers, by the way, is to... What does it mean when people say that uh, Judeo-Christian morality is the foundation of ways that is It doesn't mean sense. This is a good example. That the evolution of the moral individual um, is found in the difference between the Gospel and the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule. That... And that and one doesn't trounce the other. It's just that what Christ felt is it, it wasn't that it's a better alternative. It was that it was a fulfillment of all those, the foundations of the Ten Commandments were the, the rooted intuitions about treating others well, about valuing human life, about um, creating value in a community. All those things can be found in love your neighbour as you love yourself. That is fulfillment of the commandments, so you no longer need this set of ten top-down uh, principles that you're enforcing through some kind of moral policing, but that actually the job of the, the, the society and, and human life can only really flourish on, a, on the foundation of a spiritual awakening of the conscience. And this is exactly what Kant is trying to salvage, so that we do not degenerate and go backwards into sets of commandments. And that is what we've come to. We have actually reached that point now where we are now political correctness and uh, it's happening on the right as well. Don't get me wrong. All these things, we're degenerating back into sort of primitive, top-down sets of moralities that are enforced by self-appointed elites. And this is another... Example of the foundations of Judeo-Christianity being the foundations of modern liberal society is that Christ was very much anti-technocracy. You know, he was, you know, the idea that if I wash my hands on a certain day, like the Pharisees said, the idea that I do these sort of little pernickety things and then somehow I'll have a closer connection with God and I'll become a more moral person is fatuous. Now, there might be a reason for developing rituals, and there's always an argument about that, you know, but it's exactly the same thing that Jaladin Rumi said about the Islamic uh, culture, and he's always hated, all the Sufis are always hated for this, is he's saying that sometimes being blasphemic can actually bring you closer to Muhammad. That, that sometimes it's necessary to violate the rituals and violate the codes in order to not get sucked into the purely objectified versions of it. That is the foundation of civilization, whether it's Western or Eastern, is that move from a set of uh, ritualised commandments towards a more um, active moral participation of the individual conscience. And from the million point of view, it's the only thing that will... S- this, this constant coming back to the free spirit, this constant allowing for the blasphemous or the... Um, what's the word I'm always using, but I've forgotten now... the the dissenting voice, no, the transgressive voice. It is through transgression that the culture regenerates itself. It is always through... But but here's the thing, here's the difference between what I think is fake counterculture and the real counterculture, and I've probably touched on this before, but the difference is, is that the... Just wanting to destroy just sort, sort of uh, a kind of blind hating the white empire man is that's just a sort of infantile uh, teenage teen adolescent outburst. Whereas uh, uh, the, what I'm what a true counterculture in the kind of million sense of the of the free thinker, the individual, the the, the transgressive voice is someone who challenges the assumptions to bring it back to first principles that's a true rebel and it, and it's and in this and it, the re, and it's more of a kind of Camusian sense of a spiritual renewal a constant evolution of the culture so that the you know in a kind of TS Eliot's idea of the artist as he relates to his tradition it's not that you want to destroy the tradition but you want to bring it back to first principles in the um, in the sense of the prophets in the, this is a tradition I think this is. I think this is. This is where people like Nietzsche and Milton, they, they were they were probably quite influenced by the the the, the, the sort of uh, Jeremiah tradition of um, the prophets were not raging against the system man just because they wanted to tear down the statues man they were they were interested in what they were concerned was is that the, all of the sort of um, Pharisee concerns of of ritual and and. Um, or the objectification of God and turning, it, turning him into a sort of political entity if you like was taking us away from the very things that uh, made life worth living that made, made being a human being worth living and what, those things which connected us to others and so the true rebel um, the true individual is, an, is a necessary non-political tonic to the tendency of all political systems to to veer towards corruption and objectification and and uh, and, I, and I think that there's some work to be done here to show why the, the modern counterculture is failing at this and uh, that's going to be a bit of a, an ongoing thing for this podcast and it's it's the, it's the running theme here is that the true transgressive voice is not someone who wants to tear down the system just as a kind of willful iconoclasm, Uh, which is really, what it's really driven by, and this is exactly where John Pearson's right, is it's driven by a resentment which also wants to place one's own ego at the top, so you don't want to tear down the system because you think it's unjust, although that might be what you say. But the minute you start saying that the system is like the, the very idea of being a liberal is inherently unjust. That, me, that, to me, suggests you're not interested in justice. What you're interested in is putting yourself at the top of the tree. It also suggests to me that you don't know a fucking thing about these things I'm talking about. The, the evolution of the liberal tradition, civilization... So that's where I'm at. That's what this podcast is going to be about for for some time to come. It's it's about the difference between the 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 destructive counterculture and the the truly regenerative counterculture. The true rebel doesn't want to fight the system just to tear it down. The true rebel wants to Regenerate the, the system on first principles, just like Jesus modelled in the Gospels, where he said, "I, I, I don't come to, was it I can't I, I don't come to destroy the law, but I come to fulfil it." That's the true rebel. That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm not making any grand claims for myself, but that's the moral framework in which this podcast is functioning, and that. And I think that there's we we've, we 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 are in a situation, a very dangerous situation here, where the counterculture has become. Well, I think they, what the problem is is it's no longer a counterculture. It's a it's a it's a it's a political force. That the counterculture has become politicized, whereas the counter to be a truly a counterculture has to be cultural. So it has to be concerned with culture, as in art. As in with the, the the sense of what makes what it what it means to be a, a basic human being um, and somewhere along the line kind of Bolshevik tendency took over in the counterculture they realized that there was this force in liberal societies which was always opposing and the kind of million force the the the, the hermeneutics of um, suspicion but that was changed into. This is what people like um, Putin and those fuckers in Iran. They, they think that this is the weakness. They think that in inbuilt into Western liberalism is self-destruct mode. Whereas what they don't realise is that actually it's much more. It's not the self-destruct mode. It's much more the 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 tradition of the prophets, the return to first principles, the regenerative force, and that's the role that culture plays as opposed to politics. Politics maintains structures. The counterculture is always challenging those structures to say, are you really living up to what you say you live up to? Are you really maintaining the first principles upon which you claim to be foundationed? Um, And they're not the same forces, and and once you start to politicise the counterculture, you turn it into a force for conformism, you turn it into a force for um political tyranny and power. And this is... Oh, actually, I wanted to talk about Elia Kazan, the director, because I think he's a really good example of someone... He was... um, So he he was a lefty, you know, came out of the group theatre, New York, uh, Communist Party, Depression-era, cultural movement which was, you know, these artists were really sincere and had a lot of integrity because they, they recognized that the system was, there was something inherently destructive in the capitalist system, in the American capitalist system, and that something needed to change and that people were being forced. I mean, there was just this active force forcing people through capitalist systems into poverty. So, but he ended up evolving and changing his mind about certain things leaving the communist party although he was always he was more of an individual he realized a lot of these people were free spirits but they were taken in by communism because there was an active this was a thing from the the fucking Politburo there was an active desire to try and um, in some sense through the back door recruit unconsciously Artists who are naturally individuals, naturally free spirits, and recruit them in, and tell them that communism was some kind of like counterculture, that it was it gave you it gave you it gives you a system, it gives you a framework of understanding what's wrong, it gives you a solution, um, but it's it's a fake counterculture because a true counterculture doesn't want to it, it's cultural, it's not political. The minute it becomes a problem is when someone says they've got some simplistic solution to the political problem, and what we need to do is deconstruct it and erect some new political problem in, the, in, in its place. A true countercultural rebel does not do that. A true countercultural rebel understands that civilization is a process of evolution. That there's no one political system that's the problem, but the problem with political systems is, is they take us away from the spiritual foundations of those systems themselves. That's the tradition of the prophets. It's to remind you that why you exist in a society, why the king exists, why we need society, why we need it, why the rule of law is important. The only reason that the rule of law is important is so that it, we can maintain a value in human life. So it, it, the, the, there's a spiritual foundation to society, and always there is a danger of society, because it is essentially an objectified, objective phenomenon in the world. There's always the danger that we, we lose track of the spiritual foundations of what makes society important, of why society is so powerful, because it, it takes us out of the nasty, brutish, and short so, there's always a danger that political systems will start to mirror nasty, brutish, and short rather than out of nasty, brutish, and short. And the, the tradition of the counterculture in civilization, going back to the prophets, is to remind the politics that it, it, there's this danger afoot that it's, it's taking humanity, the taking basic humanity by whatever it is class systems, uh, a love of riches. The valuing of, of human power over, over God's power, which is essentially the power that unites us all, so that we start to see that they're one people are the elect as opposed to a group of people who are subhuman. These things are all examples of where the first principles are, are being lost in the mire of politi- politics. But a fake counterculture is a culture which... <clears throat> claims to be doing that, claims to be coming out of the tradition of the prophets, but it's really more like a communism or an Islamism. It's saying, yes, here, this, here is this corruption and they point to all very real corruptions. Postmodernism is another example. It's it, it, um, as, if, as if we could erect uh, a system based on, on, on uh, no one meaning being the foundation, <laughs> you know, as if that was even possible. But they, they, they make the claim anyway. But um, yeah, it tries to impose some other convenient political solution in its place and uh, that to me I think that the, my, my, my central point here is to me that's no longer a counterculture because it's no, it's no longer counter, it's, it's, it, what you're, all you're doing is, is saying this system is bad, choose my system don't worship this guy, worship me that's what it leads to um, whereas the true counterculture is always um, saying, is always much more broad and, and based on the, the, the basic human nature and saying, no, what's wrong with this culture is, uh, say, Christianity. And, um, the right critique of Christianity would be, Yes. Christianity has become corrupt. Yes, the priesthood has become a political entity. Yes, God's name has been used to justify wars. But that doesn't mean we need to reject Christ. That doesn't mean we need to, to, to fracture Christendom. What we need to do is to come back to first principles. That's what the, you know, if you think about the Reformation and the Jesuits, that's what the Jesuits were, were as an answer in the Catholic Church. They were saying we need to go back to first principles. In fact, that was probably what Luther was driving at. He wasn't an iconoclast. He wasn't saying down with the whole thing. He was very anti um, the politicization of what he was saying. Because he knew that the minute you go into the politicization, the minute you start making your countercultural point a political point, then all you're doing is contributing to the very system that created that dislocation from the true nature of what it means to be human. Anyway, I'll maybe talk about Elliot Kazan next week because I think he's a really good example <coughs> of the, the transgressive individual. Um, but I, just to, to say about that, he, did, he named names at the McCarthy hearings. Now, I'm no way defending that in and of itself, but I was just, I've been watching a few documentaries about him and I found out that basically he, he, did, he did that moral wrong absolutely agree with anyone. Anyway. I mean, I think the McCarthy hearings were a real low point in American liberalism where America really forgot what it was about. I'm a big fan of Pete Seeger. Pete Seeger stood up to them and took the First Amendment, I think, rather than the Fifth Amendment. Um, so I, I, I absolutely defend anyone's right to have freedom of conscience, to be a communist or not a communist. But it's just interesting to find out the reasons why Elliot Kazan did what he did and why he, he never really truly regretted it because he felt that exactly this point about the people who said that they were the counterculture were actually quite dangerous political ideologues in and of themselves and he said that it wasn't a choice between two moral a moral right and a moral wrong it was two moral wrongs that was his dilemma and quite often that is the dilemma of life and actually it's interesting to look at his films because a lot of Elliot Kazan's films are about that I think of Viva Zapata with Marlon Brando You know, he's this revolutionary who basically comes to the realisation that he's becoming the very thing that he was fighting against. He's behaving in in, in, an exacting moral legitimacy in exactly the same way that the tyrants he was fighting against were trying to do. It's the cycle of the revolutionary becomes the tyrant by his very nature. It's the French Revolution and the Robespierreian dilemma. And the the only way to re- and this is, I think, why individuality matters. Because, and I think this is where Elia Kazan saw to affirm. As you see it on the waterfront. Absolutely, you know, the corrupt unions, this um, misplaced sense of loyalty that is actually perpetuating a criminal system. But the key individual, the key thing is the individual. The sort of Brando in that is a kind of Christ-like sacrificial figure. And um, that motif is the missing link. It cannot be institutionalised by its nature because it's about the individual. So the importance of the individual is, first of all, it's the only basis of human empathy. It's the only basis of of any notion of universal rights. You cannot universalise something unless you have this specific experience that you're trying to universalise but also it's it's the it's the it's the missing link in any in any political system because all political systems tend towards hierarchies corruption and uh, institutionalization and and, and and you can't really do anything about that it's always going to be messy but the only way to really the only way to be a true rebel is not to, to, to fight for some broad reaching sort of social justice solutions because they always end up becoming exactly the thing they're fighting against but what you can do is maintain is nurture human conscience nurture human individuality uh, nurture the free spirit nurture the transgressive thought That's why free speech matters. It's not some arbitrary, alt-right bullshit thing. It's not some invention by the white man, man. It is something which evolved over time, and it's got nothing to do with any one political ideology. It's the only true tonic to ideological thinking in any situation, in any moral situation, whether you're talking about uh, the left or right. It's the only way and that, that's why I, I consider myself of the left in the tradition of Thomas Paine because he was the individual first before advocating any one position and it's the free, and, 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 and this is why I think that Helio Kazan is a hero even though he did a moral wrong whereas in you, know, and you can't say this kind of thing this is why liberalism is better than any other system because you cannot say that in any other system cannot say that someone did this heinous moral crime but for a truly correct reason you can say oh you need to crack a few eggs to make an omelette but that's not not the Elia Kazan justification Elia Kazan did damage people and did violate people's freedom of conscience but it was for the sake of his own conscience so I'm not saying he was right I think he was wrong but I think that there is there there is some the, in a non-political sense he was right, but in a political sense he was wrong. But it's the non-political which he. he I'm not. I, I'm not saying I come down either way. It's just then I would. I don't. I would never name names. At least I don't think so. and I th- and I look upon anyone that does as a fucking traitor. But the moral lesson that can be got from that is a is a liberal idea that uh, the individual conscience. Is sometimes the only refuge f- when ideology is rampant anyway any of that makes sense but uh, I'm going to leave it there, hopefully I'll get this up today. Um, but thanks for listening that's episode 86 I will, I'll maybe talk about Elia Kazan next week more, trying to um, trying to elucidate more of what I'm trying to say but uh, yeah, thanks for listening Um, yeah okay I don't think there's anything else cheers speak to you next week